welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. This episode is going to be different from most of my episodes, and this series is going to be a little different. So remember when we talk about the importance of using the Enneagram to not only help ourselves, but our community, this series is going to be more about making sure we help our community and very informal and educational when it comes to dealing with race in America. So we're going to be talking kind of anti-racism. But the main thing I'm focusing on is systemic racism, because I think when people can understand the system behind uh, the racism in the country of America, then they have a better understanding or viewpoint and see that Maybe this is something we do need to attempt to get rid of, attempt to fight, um, and attempt to change laws, uh, legislations, and rules, because that's where all of the racism is really baked into. Yes, it's in quite a few people, and that's a whole nother story, but it's really baked into the laws. And if we don't know the rules and the laws and the real history of America and how we got to where we are, it's gonna be really hard to undo it. And so just worrying about a few people that you may argue with on social media or that weird family member or members for some of you all, that's good and that's great, but let's give them an educational resource so they can say, at least look at it from a historical lens and say, wow, maybe there is more to it than I thought it was. So this is gonna be quite different what I'm doing um, for these next couple of episodes. Um, but right after that, I have another series, which is the Enneagram in Color or Enneagram with Color or the part two. And I have a nice lineup of people ready um, who I've interviewed and it's going to be really, really good as well. And so in this series, I plan to cover the following. This episode is going to be about helpful rebuttals um, to um, repeated rhetoric of some of the arguments you may have heard from people against anti-racism work or whatever. So we're going to do that here. Um, but we're going to talk about the black codes. We're going to talk about Jim Crow laws. We're going to talk about the beginning of policing in America, especially the South. It all ties in. It still impacts from where it began to where it is now. We're going to talk about redlining. We're going to talk about the judicial system slave auctions, prison industrial complex, and religion's role in oppression in America. And also I'll probably hit on um, voting suppression as well a little bit. So we're going to talk about those topics in these next couple of episodes, which I think is going to be a great resource. And it's also going to be a resource I'm going to use for the work that I do with diversity and inclusion going into corporations and companies that I work with. So it's also going to be a tool for that as I use the Enneagram to merge with diversity and inclusion, which I've done before with um, another great consultant. And I'm telling you, we moved an organization to actually deal with these issues, these big elephants in rooms that people aren't addressing. So I understand if you're like, oh, I was here just to hear Enneagram. That's totally fine. I got plenty of those episodes, <laughs> most definitely. And these episodes will touch on a little bit of how the Enneagram impacts different cultures, especially maybe the instincts and the numbers and what culture takes upon when counties, cities, governments take on a certain culture without um, like a type structure or instinct without assessing that there needs to be balance between having all of them and all those type and different people in those rooms. Like for instance, we need more nines in positions of leadership. 
because they wouldn't be trying to create so much uh, chaos uh, and things based on fear. So it's just a lot uh, that we have to do. So this episode is going to be called Helpful Rebuttals. And I got this from actually Instagram. I was scrolling through and I saw somebody had these wonderful posts that had rebuttals to a lot of the repeated rhetoric of people who tend to be not for necessarily anti-racism. doesn't mean they're racist necessarily. They probably have racist tendencies, but I wanted to really do that. And it comes from, I want to make sure I give credit. And it was made by at Char Cubed. That's at C-H-A-R-C-U-B-E-D. And it was inspired by at Sujoy underscore Sha. At S-U-J-O-Y underscore S-H-A-H. And I'm actually going to put this in the show notes and I'm going to put in the URL so that you can go here as well if you need this physical sheet. Because the best part about it, this digital sheet, better yet, the best part about it is that it is a shared document, but you are able, not only do they have like a good short snippet of the response, but they have the facts attached to the sheet. So if you're working with someone who's like, I don't believe that, you can hit them with the facts. And I'm talking about facts from like CIA, from mappingpoliceviolence.org, like all these different sites that have like legitimate data on the things that you may be um, communicating or debating with somebody. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. So what I'll do, I'll probably read the headline of the rhetoric that someone probably says. I'm going to read the response that this article has, and I'll probably add my two cents in after that. Um, and that'll be a majority of this episode. So one of the things the sheet has on the first is all lives can't matter until black lives do, which makes total sense. Obviously, it's not even an argument. It's not a black lives matter. Nobody else lives matter. It's like if all of them going to matter. Black lives got to matter too. the importance of them us just being alive. Like, can we just live? Can we just live safely regardless if we get pulled over by police or not? Right. So here's the first one. Cops kill more white people than black people. Definitely heard that one. There are an estimated 5.7 times more white people in America than black people. So, yes, by sheer numbers, white people are killed by police more. But cops don't kill white people simply because they're white. And black people are killed by cops at a rate of three times higher than white people, often when unarmed. That's a glaring inequality. And it exists because of race. And hey, consider this. The fact that police brutalize and kill people is a problem in general. 
which is why we should all be against police brutality. So I, I definitely agree with that. That's the thing. I've heard that argument before. More white people um, are being killed by police. Yes, that's a problem. I'm sorry. We've got to do better reform of our police around America if we plan on actually fixing that. Just leaving it alone and saying that is a really weird type of argument to try to argue against somebody. Well, more white people are being killed by police. Okay, so let's all stand up against police brutality because it's not right for anyone. All right, the next thing. The problem is black people commit more crime. Correction. Crimes committed by black people are more reported and or or over attributed in a corrupt system that values arrest quotas. As part of gentrification, there is often a higher police presence in diverse neighborhoods than in white neighborhoods. This means there is more police surveillance in general and more instances of new white residents calling law enforcement on people of color for perceived misdemeanors like loud noise complaints, behaving suspiciously, those type of things. More crimes being attributed to Black and Latinx people is more reflective of excessive police presence and white people making the calls, not proof people of color actually commit more crimes frequently. And there is information about that. And so this is so true right here. Like, this is so true. When you have someone, and this is, we, we've seen this literally in m- multiple videos where a white person calls the cops. Literally, we just had a young man who died, um, who was killed by a policeman. But this happened to Elijah McClain. There was quote unquote suspicious activity. And before you know it, another black boy ends up dead. Another black man ends up dead. So, it's those type of things that seem to happen. And then you talk about over-policing. Oh my goodness. There's a Stanford, I believe, experiment. It was done maybe 30, 40 years ago where these are all white people, white guys. Might have been white women too in it. But um, what happened is they like locked all of them up in a certain area. And some people were police and other people were students. And they did this for a couple of days and they treated each other as if one was policing and one was criminals. And the experiment got out of control because of a lot of different reasons, but because giving someone some type of power to police people and to so-called treat them a certain way, even though you knew them, if it's not put in check, if there's not safety measures, if not accountability, the power makes people corrupt. We really have to watch out for it. And so that experiment, it's online. You can look at, I think it's a Stanford prison project, but they did it. They switched it both. And these are just regular students doing, um, you know, psychology tests or whatever. And it really messed some of them up um, because of what they turned into and how they responded, even as the people who were maybe put as criminals. It is wild. And so this lends into talking about this. There's more crime here. When you over-police an area, if someone's always there like slap your hand or looking at you to see if you're doing something, it makes you feel some kind of way. And so a lot of things happen because then uh, places are over-policed. And so you get a little get a little crazy, like, what you looking at? Why, why, why are you constantly saying something to me? Why are you doing this? Why are you constantly harassing me? You know, and so you get a response. You get a response, then all of a sudden they can charge you with disorderly conduct or something small. And then you get upset, you get upset, you make a move, maybe it pushes a cop or maybe it touches, brushes a cop. And then uh, what you know, you just, uh, you just violate a cop and so they can slam you and arrest you. So you have to be very aware that these things are happening. And unfortunately, at an alarming rate, 
Next, what about black on black crime? Ooh, this one burns my ears. And this is derailing what they have on here. We're discussing racism and black people don't kill each other because they're black. Firstly, secondly, if you compare white and black neighborhoods with similar income levels, you see similar rates of crime. But systemic economic inequality is a factor that people forget. So if you use comparisons that put together both weather, both wealthy and upper income class neighborhoods that are predominantly white and middle slash low income neighborhoods that have more people of color, it skews the data. Poor people commit more crimes because economic insecurity leads to those crimes. It just so happens that black people are still at an economic disadvantage because of the enduring consequences of the American racism throughout history. So this is one of the, the um, most annoying things to hear. And there's information here about that, too. There's no such thing as black on black crime. There's no such thing as white on white crime. Crime is crime. Point blank, period. And when you talk about when people say black on black crime, like the very first point, black people don't kill each other because they black. That, that's not that's not why they would kill each other. And then horizontal crime is because they cannot vertically and what I mean by that, horizontal, the people I'm around, I'm frustrated with everything going on around me that I cannot change. I cannot control my life. I have um, economic issues. I have so many problems, but I am not able to change this system. And I don't know how to get up out of this. It turns into horizontal violence. And that's in any neighborhood, especially any economic disadvantaged neighborhood. So you have to remember that. And so when people do that, that's derailing from the argument. It's like, no, that has nothing to do with racism, first and foremost. Are there things that like communities have to fix who are economically disadvantaged and make sure that also people from the outside come in and help? And by outside, I mean like different service and like community centers and things. Yes, there are many things. That's a whole nother issue that needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed from a broader lens too. This is, this is all of our issue. Trust me, like I said, this is a greater thing that happened from America through history. It didn't just all of a sudden start. So we had to look at it from a greater lens. Next one. What about gun violence in black neighborhoods like Chicago? Once again, this is derailing. The above info on economic inequality applies here too. Also, this isn't directly related to this conversation. So the thing with gun violence, which is really sad, and I, I have a, a friend who actually works in the Chicago area and works with a lot of the neighborhoods of that gun violence, and it's really sad, and there's a lot of stuff still going on there. Systemic racism, systemic institutionalized racism has did so much damage to our country that it's hard to see. That's how crazy it is. And this is one thing that this whole series is going to be about is that like, for instance, if I made a pie or a cake and I bake something in it, you wouldn't know it's in there necessarily unless obviously you knew like the ingredients that were made. You can bake something into food and no one would ever know sometimes. So, for instance, if you were born into this country that already baked racism and what I mean by that is discrimination, oppression into the laws, but it did not affect you directly, you wouldn't know it was there. Until somebody brought it to your awareness and you said, okay, wow, I did not know this. I need to pay more attention to it. And that's if you want to know and realize it's there. Because I think there are people who realize like, oh, shoot, I didn't know all this was going on. I need to pay more attention and actually get active. And then I think there's people who see it and uh, they choose, which I've heard someone say, I choose to believe this. And I'm like, but 
if it doesn't have all the facts and information, how, how are you putting it all together and you choosing to not see the whole truth or just accepting it? So I know that kind of messes with people's narrative, their American narrative sometimes, but the crazy part is we can be honest and still love the place where we live. That's kind of how we do with our relatives, right? Like I still love some of my crazy relatives and they get on my nerve and they've done some crazy stuff, but I can still love it, but we got to be honest and work through it. And so that's what we have to do as a country. Next, if people just followed the law, they'd be fine. <laughs> a, whether or not someone committed a crime does not mean they deserve to be killed. Cops are not judge, jury, and executioner. Innocent people have been killed for fitting a description or for misdemeanors by accident or because a cop felt like it and didn't feel repercussion. And as we can see in some of the videos, unfortunately, it's like people videotaping you. Don't you realize now and they just don't care because for so long, cops have either got away with it and or the justice system was like, nah, they fear for their life. We're not even going to bring up any charges against them. You know, none of that. And rarely is justice served. C, the law and the system protects white people in ways it does not protect black people, indigenous people, and people of color. And so this one right here is, to me, super obvious, but I know it may not be super obvious to everyone else, but there are so many stats on this. People of color and black people do not get the same breaks, do not get the same leniency that white people do um, when it comes to the justice system. Unfortunately, um, they don't get a second chance always like uh, some or many white people do uh, when it comes to a lot of these charges and different things. There's so many examples of that. One of the examples is I think it was a student at a prestigious college in California. I want to say I want to say Stanford or somewhere, but he lived in Ohio and he either tried to and it's going to look graphic, not real, not very graphic, but he like tried to rape a girl like at a party or outside of a party or something. He did or he did not like he was trying to and some guys stopped him, but he was already, I guess, kind of somewhere in the vicinity of doing it. And they sued him and the judge actually let him off. And there were people protesting outside his parents house. This is all on the news um, for sure. You can find it. People protesting outside his house and this same judge with the same accusation, which is a white man with people of color gave them really harsh sentences and sent them to jail. This guy, white guy, who is super educated because he's going to this really nice school, educated with quotation marks, literally raped this white girl. And he, like, got probation. Like, what? So it's instances like that. But see, this is just one example of many that are out there don't necessarily get the press, but there's many of them that do have press and don't get a whole lot of light. So that's just one example, because I guarantee you, if that guy who had raped this, this uh, young lady was black, he'd be beneath the prison. Okay. I can promise you that. Next, white privilege isn't real. Oh, this is an interesting one. Also consider white shooters are miraculously apprehended safely, yet unarmed black people are killed with alarming frequency. Look, there's not enough space here, but the info on this guy indicates some ways white privilege is real. In essence, white is seen as default, aka normal. White people often receive the benefit of the doubt in ways people of color don't because of stereotypes and lack of representation in media. And because of centuries of history rooted in racism and oppression, 
white people have advantages and systemic power that black people don't. And so there's a great um, chart here. It's amazing to help kind of visually show people what white privilege is. And and so let me hit this too, because white privilege is triggering to some white people um, for sure. Here we go. First of all, let's talk about privilege. Privilege, everyone for the most part has some type of privilege. I am a black male, lean, kind of tall. And so in basketball, most rooms I go in, if I'm not playing with like college athletes or NBA players, I'm going to have some type of a little bit of a height advantage, maybe a little bit of a speed advantage, right? I am an Enneagram seven. So I can be buzzing around. I can like halfway do something. I can show up to an event and I can turn the lights on and I can just like turn it on. I can talk. I can do all these great things in front of people. I can fill a room with words. I can stand on top of a table and talk and just go on and on and on, all this type of stuff. And that's a privilege of my Enneagram type. Every type has a privilege. Every person has some type of privilege. White privilege is pervasive and permeates America so deeply because it's rooted in the system that rules this country. And so when you talk about having those privileges, there are certain things that white people have constantly either can get away with or get by on or get like leniency on that black people and people of color just don't get or they get very rarely. And so this doesn't mean that as a white person, you have not had to work hard. It doesn't mean that your life hasn't been tough. It doesn't mean that you're not a hard worker. It doesn't mean that you haven't struggled. It does not mean that. But in America, white privilege means that you have an advantage simply because of the color of your skin. That's that's the main thing. You have an advantage simply because of the color of your skin. It doesn't mean black people cannot still be successful, cannot still make it. But you have an advantage simply because of the color of your skin. I have way less chances to make a mistake and still keep going than a person of the of a white skin color does. It's that simple. That's it. Next, many of the people killed had criminal histories. That doesn't matter and isn't relevant in the moment when a cop is making an arrest. A past criminal record, which is often unknown, by the way, doesn't justify the use of excessive force or murder, especially if someone is subdued. Cops are not judge, jury, and executioner. Also, many of the cops who are killing people have prior on-the-job offenses or murders on their records, yet they're still on duty causing harm. That should be an actual point of concern. That right there is alarming and scary as all get out. It is scary to think that you have cops who have multiple offenses against them that somebody says this person is like being brutal in the way that they're policing. And these people back on the street policing the same areas where they created this same brutality. And then we get cases and we see stuff on TV like George Floyd or Rayshard. Like we see all this stuff. This is messed up. So we've really we've really got to start to do really some reforming of this policing system. And I know some people are saying defund and find different ways. And if it works, it works if we can find a credible system. I don't see how one side is going to allow the defunding of it, but I know reform is certainly real at this point in our history, in my opinion. Next, why can't they peacefully protest in a way that doesn't disturb anyone? <laughs> a, how do you feel about Colin Kaepernick? B, the point of protesting is to create sustained disruptions of the status quo, forcing people in power to create change. This has worked multiple times throughout history. 
the protests remained peaceful unless or until the cops deliberately used tear gas and non-lethal bullets that um, can maim and actually kill. So to be honest, most protests are peaceful. There are protests that get out of control and they turn into riots. And there's a lot of reasons for that, too. So you have to actually look at when the police force comes out in riot gear and you have a policeman who is ready to fire aim or he ain't even he ain't even aiming. He just firing something. It makes things very chaotic. And so now everybody's mad and trying to protect themselves from every side that's there which causes a huge issue. And then one of the things that's going on as well that we have to recognize is that these peaceful protests, they're not the only ones protesting. There's people who are protesting racism out there as well, who are out there who also cause issues as well. And so those are other issues that deal with this peaceful protesting, along with the fact that when any oppressed people finally exhibit and protest, there is a lot of energy, aka anger, in what they're doing most of the times. And so when it is provoked, it can come out in weird, strong, and forceful ways. And so there is this balance of all of that. And so some cities and some policing areas who have done really good job of making sure that protests stay peaceful, that nothing breaks out, that protesters have the way to protest, their streets are clear, and there's not any chaos and craziness, and they're still there, but they're allowing them the space to still be able to do it at the same time. And <laughs> the peaceful protests, they get talked about too. As they said, Colin Kaepernick, oh my goodness, they vilified this guy. And he peacefully protested, but he became a problem, and they like tried to end his um, NFL career and make it seem like it was about something it wasn't about. He's He's disrespecting the flag. What? What in the world? Like, it's crazy how people put certain things together to try to create their own narrative. And so the protests are to create a disruption. It has to be because people who hold power, who oppress people, they just don't give up power, unfortunately. It would be great if they was like, oh my goodness, we've been messing up. Let me empower you instead of oppress you. It doesn't work like that. You have to, people being oppressed, and this is out through history, like all history, not just American history. You have to take power from people who are oppressing you. You have to do these things. You have to force people to create change because they won't if you don't. And a lot of times that's an economic thing. One example, the Mississippi state flag, they hadn't changed this flag in forever. They put it on the ballot a couple times and it wasn't bold enough for it to be changed or whatever. Even though this symbol on it, the Confederate symbol, is on it, and we all know what that stands for. It's like they didn't change it until the NCAA football was like, yeah, we're not going to put any of our money here until you change that. Oh, they changed it immediately. Like, no hassles, no argument, anything. And so these type of things, these type of pressures, these economic pressures and changes actually make people in power have to change. Next, but the rioting and the looting, the majority of protests are entirely peaceful. Others are peaceful until the cops turn into riots and tear gas and non-lethal bullets. That can lead to others taking advantage with chaos, looting, often detracting from the goals of the movement. Small businesses shouldn't be destroyed. And there is a problem with racism and police brutality that needs to be addressed. Can 
and must coincide. Don't focus on the property loss at the expense of the repeated loss of lives that's been occurring for years. If you allow these few instances to direct your attention away from the reasons for the protest, you're playing right into those trying to change the topic, the media, the police, and the politicians who prefer orderly status quo to change. If you primarily seen select news of property damage, but no evidence of hours of peace and repeated police violence, ask yourself why. They make a really good point here because we can always rebuild property. Yes, it does suck when somebody's business is destroyed. It absolutely does. And looting and rioting is not the right way to go necessarily. Like if, if that, if it's not really called for, you know, we, we, we try, let's do our best not to necessarily do that. But here's the thing. We've got to make sure that we value lives over property because I can rebuild this building. I have insurance. I can redo these things, all this stuff. You can't rebuild a dead person. We don't have a machine to do that. We're not superhumans. Nothing like that. So we have to make sure that we're looking at the purpose of this, the why behind what's going on and not just, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're destroying this stuff. Are you kidding me? The lives and the reason they're protesting has got to be bigger than like the stuff, these little material things that we become attached to. Okay. So we really got to look into that. And there has information down here, quite a bit of 400 instances of uh, police violence at protests. Wow. That's a lot. Um, but it's going to be here in the show notes. All right. Next. How come other race doesn't protest other races? This is derailing as well. A, they probably do or did, and you're just not aware of it. B, if they did now, would you personally actually be listening to them or dismiss them? And C, bringing this up perpetuates the moral minority myth, which is the idea that some minorities have achieved higher success and are better because they keep their heads down and work hard. It's erasure that encourages people to not speak out against injustice and also pits minorities against each other. There's actually quite a few um, protests going on. There are in, in many different ways. There are protests going on with uh, Native Americans in quite a lot of places in America, actually. If you do your research, you will find that you'll be surprised how many protests are going on. Before this COVID thing, China was protesting hardcore. I remember the pictures and everything. Shoot, LeBron got in trouble for not saying something about... um and LeBron's my boy, but he got in trouble for not saying something um, when the protests were going on in China. So people protest and different cultures have different things. But protesting has been something going on for a long time. It's just a lot of times maybe our news and media doesn't cover it or everything that's going on and or how they may treat the people. Next, white people have been oppressed, too. Once again, this is derailing. Are white people oppressed in Western societies right now because of their race? No. Can white people be oppressed in other ways unrelated to their skin color, like sexuality, gender, economic status, or ableism? Yes, of course, but that's a different conversation, and racial oppression is currently what we're discussing. Next, well, I don't see color. My goodness, that's another problem in itself. You may mean well by saying this, but what you're actually doing is invalidating the experience of anyone who isn't white. You can't discuss and change problems if you refuse to acknowledge they exist in the first place, nor can you support those whose skin color and cultures differ from yours. We are all human and should strive to be kind, yes, but in a society filled with microaggressions 
and overt racism and injustice, we are not all equal and we must listen to each other's experiences. We also can't forget to value the things that make us unique or celebrate the beauty of diversity, especially when those differences are often used to perpetuate oppression. You truly need to see color, hear people's stories, and honor them by working against racism. This is so huge that we respect other people's story. Uh, when I go into organizations, we call it psychological safety. If a person doesn't feel like they can tell their story without you somehow putting a stigma or label on them or oppressing or discriminating against them, they won't tell you. And so if that's being done, which this is, this happens to a lot of people of color, minorities in workplaces, we may feel microaggressions. We may get racial jokes, all these different things. And we kind of just take the, we just kind of take it sometimes because I'd rather keep my job than have to deal with calling you out, trying to correct you, going against the, the arguments that we're going through here that have no relevance into what we're really talking about. And you're misinformed and miseducated. I don't have the energy to do all of that and deal with you. I just rather keep pushing and moving forward right now. But it builds up and it's heavy on people. So psychological safety, being able to respect people. And I see your color. Your color is different. It's beautiful, just like my color. That's okay. Then we can move forward with addressing, wow, you experienced this simply because of the color of your skin? Yes, I do. And it's messed up, you know? All right. Next one. Blue lives matter. Oh boy, here we go. Now, this is another derailing one. Being a cop is a choice. Being black isn't. White people can stop being cops by simply taking off their uniform for the day or quitting to remove themselves from danger. Black people can't stop being black or experiencing the repercussions of racism. Hence, necessary activism. Cops getting hurt or killed while on the clock is an occupational hazard they signed up for. Black people didn't sign up for living with those real fears and they can't escape them. And so, and so that's the difference. Yes, all our lives will matter when black lives matter. Yes, including cops and everybody. Here's the thing. We have such a polarity in seeing so many things. This, this two way, this one way or this that way. One thing, if you're listening to this episode and you're listening like all the way through to here, amazing. Thank you. But what I want you to really think of is that we have to stop thinking in like black and white, this or that, uh, either or. It's got to be and in both. And it's also got to look at things that are not always just on a polarity. Like it's either you're on this end or you're on that end. Like that is a such a small mind frame. And if you're listening here, you probably know the Enneagram. And like this is one of the things that we have to make sure we stop um, seeing ourselves as either or. Because I mean, that is one of the things that keeps us really inside of an ego trap, a box. And it's messed up. It's like saying, if, if I say black lives matter, you saying police lives don't matter. No, they a lot, they do matter. Oh my goodness. Yes, they do. I have great friends who are policemen. I mean, who are high level policemen too. And I love and respect them. And I thank them for the work that they do trying to help different neighborhoods and different cities. But at the same time, my goodness, the systemic issues that are going on with black people, you know, it's deep and important as well. And like the humanity of people is important in general. It's a humanity thing, first and foremost, not an either or their lives or these lives. It's humanity. Next, 
Not all cops brutalize and kill people and or it's just a few bad ones. Oh my goodness, I've heard this one. The ones who do kill and brutalize rarely face true consequences because the system is broken. This is this system, the rules, laws that govern our country. This is what I'm talking about. When someone says there are no good cops, it doesn't mean no good person has ever become a cop. What it does mean is that America policing is set up as a system that doesn't allow for what we'd expect a good cop to be. The supposed good cops are complicit in supporting a system that lets the worst of them get away with horrible things. This is called the blue wall of silence. And any cops who do try to speak out against corruption are often punished for it. For example, read about Adrian Schoolcraft. The problem isn't a few bad apples, but rather a whole tree. And so here's the the issue with this. There are good men and women who are police people. The issue is the police system is one of those systemic issues that racism is baked into. It was baked into it from the very beginning when policing started in the South. I'm going to do an episode on that, but they used to call it slave patrol. And it used to be for any white person who wanted to so-called catch runaway slaves. It's a, it's much deeper. And I'll go into it on my uh, episode about the beginning of policing in America, especially the South and how we got to the point that we're at. That's going to be crucial to understand especially for where we are right now. But nevertheless, the thing is, there's police unions and there's systems. And it's like, you don't say nothing because if you say something, I may expose what you may have done. And then there's this, like I said, this blue wall. There's a blue wall of silence that they keep certain stuff in because they maybe feel like they have to deal with certain stuff, but it keeps a corrupt system going. Instead of having a system that's accountable, that actually changes lives, holds people accountable, and makes sure that cops are well taken care of mentally, psychologically, physically, emotionally, we have this system that's super broken. And so you've got cops who are super broken, psychologically maybe messed up from the things that they experience on a daily basis, or they come in already with a, a mindset that they don't even like a certain people based on their color or and or it's implicit bias. You you got racist tendencies going on in the background of your mind and you don't know it, but you policing people. See, that's a problem. We got to address those and work on that. Next, why isn't anyone talking about how many good things cops do. Once again, this is derailing from the argument of police brutality and racism. People do all the time in feel-good stories, but it's difficult to separate genuine good from what is often well-timed cop propaganda that tries to get people to stop speaking out or delegitimizes voices for change by implying any problems about individual cops rather than the system. Recently and frequently, cops kneeling for photo ops at protests have gone viral. But then later in the day, the same cops use tear gas and violence on protesters. Also, some of the cops who go viral for good deeds may have a history of violence on their records. The bottom line is difficult and or harmful to praise people who are part of a broken system that kills and harms innocent and unarmed people. And that is so true. I had some friends who went to a protest and literally there were pictures of the cops taking pictures with them and kneeling and all this kind of stuff. And literally after that photo, I don't know, I don't know how many minutes or an hour or two it was. They were literally tear gassing the protesters. It's wild. We have to remember, like, this is a media society. And if you you give people the media they want and show them what they want, people will automatically believe those things. So we have to be very aware, very conscious 
of what we're consuming and looking at because, man, it is tricky out here. And there's some people who want to make and create a very interesting narrative just for them to feel good or right about what their opinions are. So we all have to be aware of that um, and make sure we're trying to get all the facts and all the stats and then building relationships so we understand what's really going on. Next, cops are humans too, and they are just expected to do nothing while getting screamed at? Yeah, actually. If customer service people can take abuse, the protectors of society should be able to. Being a cop is a high-pressure job, and they need to have a mental fortitude to not allow emotions to cloud their judgment and or lead to violence. Things like anger management training, background checks on records of violence, mental wellness checks, and are just some bare minimum that should be happening, but aren't, nor would it be enough. And so here's another thing I talked about before, like cops need mental, psychological, emotional checkups. Like it needs to be a mandatory way that they, um, sessions they have to go to. I can see this really helping our economy with the, um, making sure that our psychologists and different therapists and coaches actually have more business um, and they have a relationship with the police department. So now we're like really doing some holistic work here. But yeah, getting yelled at and all that type of stuff, of course, customer service people get treated like crap all the time and they don't necessarily come across and beat somebody. And if they do, they get in trouble for it. So as a cop, simply getting screamed and yelled at, they've got to be able to take that. I guess that sucks for anybody, but they are necessarily like this thing said, protectors of society, supposed to be protecting and serving. So Getting yelled at a little bit, you know, okay. It happens all the time. As long as they're not putting their hands necessarily on you, that's a whole different story. So next, so what's the solution? And here's what they have. Defunding and or abolishing the police. Now, that sounds crazy if you never heard it before. But allow me to quote the people who know what they're talking about. Essentially, we currently ask police to solve too many of the world's problems, meaning at best, they're ineffective and at worst, actively harmful. So we're talking about the gradual process of strategically reallocating resources, funding, and responsibility away from police and toward community-based models of safety, support, and prevention. The people who respond to crisis in our community should be the people who are best equipped to deal with those crises. Rather than strangers armed with guns, we want to create space for more mental health service providers, social workers, victims, survivor advocates, religious leaders, etc. All the people who really make up the fabric of the community to look out for one another. Crime isn't random. Most of the time, it happens when someone has been unable to meet their basic needs through other means. By shifting money away from the police and towards services that actively meet those needs, we'll be able to get to a place where people won't need to rob banks. This is just a start. And so there's information below here that has quite a few things on it, um, for sure. On that, I have not necessarily done thorough research to look at it. I have seen it, obviously, on Facebook and Instagram and people saying defund the police and I think the plan behind that, I love the plan behind it. it needs to be a community-based model to where the people in the community really handle a lot of some of these issues um, to help meet the basic needs. I 110% agree with that. I don't see how you cannot agree with that. Because like they said, police are sent out to so-called solve problems that they don't need to be solving. Like there needs to be maybe like the neighborhood watch. If there's suspicious activity, people in the neighborhood maybe should go address it. And if it's dangerous, then... 
you know, you call a cop. But if a person's just wondering and maybe they don't have the same skin color as you, doesn't mean a cop who can get violent all of a sudden should go out there and be aggressive with the person who has no understanding of the person, their family, community, what's going on. So I definitely 110% agree with that part. Now, I do think right now in my brain at this point in my life, I do think we do need police, though, because there are certain degrees of criminality or chaos. And I'm not just talking about from in like communities where you have low resources. I'm talking about people who seek to do harm, people who are actively racist and legitimately hate people because of skin skin color. Not people who just like act like, you know, racism don't exist. I ain't talking about them people necessarily, but I'm talking about the people who are actively looking to hurt people because of the color of their skin or any other thing that they find to be different from themselves. Yes, I think that does need policing for sure. But a lot of the other things that end up to be serious crimes a lot don't start that way. They start very little. And if we had the resource, the proper resources, then we could solve and handle them prior to them getting to a point where they need somebody needs to be in prison. Because we all know the prison system does a poor job of rehabilitating people. The next part, I have a few things. Quick note on racist being used in the title of this. In case anyone tries to derail you by saying it's attacking people and calling them racist for asking questions, these questions are called racist talking points because sometimes the person's intent is malicious. But even when it's not, they're unknowingly parroting many talking points that were introduced by white supremacist media to try to detract from the movement. Racist is used as an adjective for the talking points themselves here, not as an insult to anyone who could be attempting to ask such questions in good faith. The questions themselves just too often remain harmful regardless of supposed intention. That being said, technically, we're all racist on some level because internalized biases. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you can grow. But that's another topic. So what they're basically saying here, which I absolutely love, is the fact that we all have implicit bias against certain people and certain groups. Um, that's We have to address those things. And like using the word races, this is the thing, like, like, they, like the Enneagram, we, you don't want to affix something to you or as a person necessarily. You may have active racist tendencies, but those things can change. Like, and so one thing when I know people get afraid, like I'm a good person, I'm not racist. Um, well, first and foremost, before you even get to being a good person, you're just a person and dealing with considering yourself good or bad. That's a whole issue in yourself. You may be striving to do good things. But being a quote unquote good person, what happens when you do something wrong or bad? So now are you a bad person or how do you deal with that? So, you know, these labels we'll fix to ourselves become huge issues. And so when a person says, I'm not racist, but then you look at Amy Cooper up in New York, who is like supposedly liberal and all these type of things, right? But then all of a sudden she tries to weaponize the cops against a black man who's telling her that she's wrong for having her dogs in this bird park. So we have to really look deep within ourselves. And the Enneagram is so important for that. And a lot of times I haven't found too many people, they're out there, too many people who are doing like real inner work on themselves and addressing their issues and seeing where they come up short of where they want to be or what they thought they were that still have 
a boisterous, racist type of tendencies out loud so strong and so hard. I haven't seen that people have done the real work. And so that's another thing too, introducing people to actually dealing with their own inner issues. And so that they will be able to say, wow, maybe I need to take a step back and look at this. Why does this cause me to be so defensive so quickly? You know, why am I so mad when I see this or when I see these people or I see this person? We've got to address all those things. And we've got to do it from not an area of like hate and and uh, and, and necessarily guilt necessarily, but like a place of love and questioning. We just got like, what's going on? So this inner work and this outer work is what we're talking about. Um, you've got to do both. This outer work sometimes is painful because you're going to come in contact with not just yourself and what's going on within you, but you're going to come in contact with stuff that that's going to freak you out a little bit, that you're going to be a little, your skin's going to crawl. You're going to feel a little weird in the stomach. It doesn't necessarily agree with what you agree with. It's not the same like you are. And so you're going to have to address this. Why in the world does that make you feel the way it makes you feel? And don't blame the other person. Look within first and really see what's going on because that's a whole different answer than saying, oh, because they do this. No, no, no. But why is that making you feel some type of way? We really have to address those things. Also, podcasting is not free for podcasters, but it is free for listeners. So if you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash do it for the gram. And at patreon.com, um, all my, um, patrons, they get a little bit of extra. They get a little bit more contact with me and or they get maybe discounts and different things. And I try to release things there. I'm working more and more to like ramp that up. I'm working on that. And they just get to preview some stuff first and they get discounts on a lot of different things and uh, communication with me. So if you want to support, you can go to patreon.com forward slash do it for the gram. So thank you so much for listening. Don't know if this is going to be two episodes or one. We're going on an hour. Oh my goodness. But I'm super thankful you're here. Um, remember, I do coaching and consulting with KaizenCareers.com. Um, I also have, um, I do Enneagram typing interviews. If you're looking to get um, to know your Enneagram type, because that's quite important to figuring out your growth path and trying to get better and grow. And remember, the Enneagram is not just about you. Humble yourself. The Enneagram is about being humble and learning that it's not all about you. We all have flaws. We all got to get better, um, but we've got to address our flaws. We got to do that inner work and that outer work. So I thank you so much for listening. Please put in the work uh, because we are in this thing together. In the end of the day, any injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Just remember, if you're feeling triggered um, by something that's happening or a person, uh, make sure you take a deep breath. Uh, be wise. Make the best decision and do it for the gram, the Enneagram, of course. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye bye.